Uh, I'm really excited this morning as we finish up our series on the forgotten gift. I've been just super pumped to come and uh, have the opportunity to preach God's word this morning. Um, If you would, let's go ahead and go to God with a word of prayer before we get started this morning. God, just thank you so much for uh, what you've done in our hearts already uh, this month as we celebrate Advent, God, as we um, just celebrate the Christmas season together. I pray that you would um, hide me behind the cross this morning, God. I pray that you would just make your message clear to all of us, God. Do something in our hearts, God, so that you could do something through us, too. Um, Just thank you for what you've done and who you are. Thank you for being the uh, mighty gift giver that you are, and thank you for the gift um, of salvation that you bought us through um, the cross, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done in your own prayer. Amen. All right, so over the last couple weeks, we've been in this really exciting series called The Forgotten Gift. We've talked about how uh, most of us have taken for granted the gift of the gospel, that we have access to salvation through Jesus. This is something that we should be uh, constantly thinking about, excited about, and telling other people about. But oftentimes we take this gift and just kind of hide it under our bed or put it up on the shelf for dust to collect. But we have the words and the works of Jesus Christ. And this is an incredible and awe-inspiring gift that even the angels in heaven desire to look into it. And they long to understand its beauty and how God would show us so much grace. We talked about how it's amazing that we can look right into the Bible at our fingertips at how Jesus uh, lived his life. We don't have to wonder how Jesus would have acted in certain situations or what he would have said in a certain context because we have access to it at our fingertips. And that is not a gift we can take for granted. Then the next week we talked about how the gift of the gospel is supposed to change us. When we embrace the gospel, it's supposed to uh, change our hearts and make us radically different in the way we view everything in our lives. We talked about how it should change the way we view our citizenship, the way we live in our marriages, the way we view our government, and the way we function in our workplaces every single week. So today as we finish this series, we're going to talk about the best part. You think it was good already? It's going to get even better. You ready for this? You know those commercials, the infomercials where it's like, but wait, there's more. And there's always something better. This whole sermon this morning is just a big infomercial. So the gift gets even better is what we're talking about today because we get to meet the gift giver. One day we're going to meet the gift giver. And that excites me this morning. We're going to go ahead and dive into the fourth chapter of Peter. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. If you would bear with me, we're going to be in the fourth and fifth chapter of these letters written by Peter. Let's go ahead and dive in. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whosoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So right here in the beginning of this chapter, Peter challenges the believers that he's writing to. We talked about how these were probably scattered believers who were on the run. They were facing persecution. 
And Peter is reminding them, hey, embrace this Jesus mentality. The same way that Jesus thought, arm yourselves with the same mindset. He says, Jesus suffered for us in the flesh. Now it's time for us to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind and embrace this entire new way of thinking as we uh, take on suffering and persecution in our walks with Christ. See, Jesus suffered for our sake so that we could be made righteous. Now we must arm ourselves to suffer and cease to live for the passions of our flesh and the lusts of our flesh. See, many of us don't want to think about suffering as a part of our Christian walk. I'll throw my hand up. That's me. I want to have, you know, a, a nice, tidy, clean relationship with Christ. I want the benefits of that sometimes. But I don't want to really think about, like, suffering or facing persecution or anything like that. But how could we expect anything less as Christians? Take a look at the Bible. Take a look at what you're claiming that you believe in. If you choose Jesus, you're choosing someone who was persecuted who was brutally tortured, and who intentionally endured suffering as long as it aligned with the will of God. How could we look at the Bible and come away with anything else? Arm yourselves, likewise like Christ, with the same mentality. We see here that the gift giver suffered not so that we wouldn't suffer, and not so that we would live uh, comfortable, tidy lives, but rather, his suffering serves as a model to us so we can know how to suffer, so we can know how to endure as we carry our crosses in this life. We'll continue on in verse 4. It says, With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. For this is why, uh, that the judge in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So Peter is explaining here to these believers that if you choose God over the world, do not be surprised when people don't understand. Have you ever gone to your workplace and just felt like super out of place and nobody really understands why you choose Christ and you go to church on Sunday and why you might act a little bit different? That's what Peter's saying here. He says they're surprised that you don't join them in pursuing the lusts and the passions of the flesh. But they do not understand how sweet the grace is that God offers. They, they've never felt and embraced that love of God that surpasses and is more worth anything that the world could offer us. They've never tasted that grace. But Peter explains that all of those people, all of us will stand before God because he is a holy and a just God and he will judge sin. This is why we have to be desperately carrying this gift into the world. As we receive the gift of the gospel, we are also called to take it into the world. Receiving the gift comes with duties. It comes with a job. It should break our hearts that other people have not received this gift. <clears throat> Continuing in verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping love one another earnestly, 
since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now Peter says, this this is the exciting part. This is where I get real fired up. He says, get ready, arm yourselves with that Jesus mentality because Jesus is coming back. That's what we're celebrating all month with Advent. The coming of Jesus Christ. And he's coming back again. Doesn't that blow your minds? We're going to see this gift giver? See, this gift of the gospel, the fact that we can have a relationship with God, it is priceless, it is immeasurable, but it gets even better. Because one day we're going to see the face of that gift giver. How many of you guys have ever played uh, Secret Santa? Anybody playing it already this year? I just went to a Christmas party last night, and uh, my Secret Santa got me a sushi rolling kit. I've never even seen one of those in a store. I guess I just assumed, like, the sushi restaurants were the only ones who had those. So I'll keep you guys updated on how that works out. It's probably not going to go well when I try to use it. But when you open a gift, you want to know who it's from. I was so excited to know who got me this sushi rolling kit. I thought it was a really cool gift. I wanted to know who it was so I could go hug him and thank him and see him. It turned out it was Eli Williams, so I gave him lots of love. (laughs) Think about the gift that we've received through Jesus Christ. How much more valuable is it than any gift we could receive on this earth? And how much more valuable and loving is the gift giver than anyone who could give us gifts on this earth? Peter goes on to tell these people here. He says, Jesus is coming back. In the meantime, love one another. Show hospitality. Share your gifts. And glorify God through all of these things that you do. Have you ever thought about if Jesus came back, if you'd be like busy, if you're doing what he's asked you to do, or if you'd be like standing flat-footed when he came? I think about that sometimes. Like, if I feel like I'm kind of stagnant and I'm not doing a lot, you know, like, man, I'd be kind of ashamed if Jesus came back right now and I'm like not doing anything, you know? Uh, Have you ever slacked off at your job at work? I've done that a lot in my lifetime. (laughs) Uh, I had a job uh, when I lived in Georgia as a floor finisher, which is really a glorified name for a janitor um, at a hospital. And a lot of times I would go in to to clean the rooms and I'd strip the floors and wax the floors, lay the wax down, put a fan on it. And then instead of like going to like do something productive, I'd just like sit down for 30 minutes, let the floor dry, like I'm done working for at least half an hour or an hour or something like that. But it would have been really, really embarrassing if my supervisor had walked around the corner and seen me sitting in a patient room watching SportsCenter uh, on my phone, listening to music while the floor dries beneath me. That would have been pretty embarrassing. We need to arm ourselves with that same mentality. Jesus is right around the corner. When he comes around that corner, are you going to be loving one another without limits? Are you going to be showing hospitality without... Um, any restraints? 
Are you going to be sharing your gifts to the best of your ability to the glory of Jesus Christ? Let's get busy because Jesus is coming back. Continuing in verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It seems like a pretty common topic here as we've gone through 1 Peter of persecution and suffering, right? We can probably come away from this book knowing that as Christians, we are bound and guaranteed to face suffering and persecution. He tells them that accepting and believing on the act in, uh, of Jesus Christ and accepting the gospel guarantees persecution, suffering, and trials, but he says that the gift is worth it. The gift of the gospel is worth it. See, your suffering can glorify God in ways that you may never understand while you're here on this earth. But partaking in suffering and persecution by living a life for Jesus Christ is far more worth living a comfortable life for yourself. Have you ever taken a look at yourself? At how comfortable you might be? See, it's a scary thing to actually study this and look at persecution because a lot of times it directs my eyes to my life and how comfortable I am. Has it ever bothered you? Have you ever considered the extent of the persecution that Christ followers are facing all over the world? That they're willingly embracing because they know the gift is worth it? Could you look at your life and uh, point out a place where you're suffering for Jesus Christ? That's a scary thing to look at. But believers all over the world are truly carrying their crosses, stepping out of their comfort zones, and being persecuted for Jesus Christ because they know the gift is worth it. See, the Bible's depiction of what it means to follow Jesus is not some uh, cakewalk Christianity. It's not going to be easy, but the gift is worth it. We've seen that this month as we've gone through 1 Peter. The gift is so great. It's so worth any obstacle or trials or problems you may face in your life. The early believers understood the value of that gift. They knew that simply knowing the gift giver and having a relationship with God was worth anything. We'll continue on as we finish the fourth chapter. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, we are all going to stand before God and be judged according to what we did and did not do, for our motives. But Peter is driving these believers 
to think about the judgment of those who reject this gift of the gospel. As we receive the gift, as we talked about before, we are called to be sharers of the gift. If you really believe that the gospel is the one true way to have relationship with God, to find salvation, how much must we hate the world not to give them this gift? Not to point them towards the ultimate gift giver that is God. See, God is the amazing gift giver. And the goodness of his gifts should compel us to be gift givers as well. We'll start uh, chapter 5 here. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And even when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He starts off here addressing Christian leaders, calling them to be shepherds for their flocks for the glory of God and not their glory. Leading them the way that God would have them to lead. Then he says that one day the chief shepherd will appear. Again, we see mention the gift giver is coming back. The chief shepherd will appear, and Christian leaders, pastors, life group leaders, whatever kind of leader you are this morning, shepherd your flock with eyes on the gift giver, who is the chief shepherd. He is sovereign. He cares for his flock. He loves his flock so much that he was willing to lay down his life for his flock. Do we love each other that much? Do you love your flock that much, Christian leader? Then we see the focus shift to humility. The Bible literally says here to clothe yourself in humility, to totally cover and saturate yourself in humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he says to cast all of your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Isn't that a comforting thing to hear? How comforting would this have been to hear as a persecuted Christian who was on the run, scattered about, and you read this letter and it says, hey, I know you're um, in a deep problem right now. You're really scared. Your fear is very real. You're being persecuted. But cast all of your anxieties, all of your worries, and all of your cares on God because he cares about you right now. I imagine I would want to hear that if I was scattered and persecuted. See, if we know who God is, that should ease all of our fears. I love that the Bible here 
calls us to cast our anxieties on him too. It doesn't say that your anxieties aren't real. It doesn't say that your fears are fake or that your problems don't hold any weight. But rather, the Bible affirms to us that the God we serve holds the universe in his hands. And at the same time, he's orchestrating the movement of the planets and the stars and the rhythm of the sea. He's saying, I will shoulder the weight of your anxieties, your problems, your worries, and all of your cares. What an amazing gift giver he is, that he would do that for us. While he's holding all the planets and the stars in his hands, he's saying, cast all of your cares on God because he cares for you. Verses 8 through 14 close us out. Peter basically is just um, issuing warning to the believers that that the enemy is constantly about, that the the evil and the temptation and the enemy is very real, but he's encouraging them to endure, to remain strong, and do not take for granted this gift of the gospel. Take it. Look at it. Admire it the way the angels do. Run with it. Endure. Be strong in the faith. We can have confidence as we endure this race because we've seen that God, our gift giver, is sovereign. He is caring. He's our chief shepherd. He is loving and just. And he is worth any obstacle, persecution, or suffering we could ever face in this life. The band's going to go ahead and come up. To close this, uh, this message in this series, I would like for us to just kind of admire some things reflect on some things. You can remain seated. If you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. We have at our fingertips the words and the works of Jesus Christ. We have a full picture of the gospel. The good news that the prophets dreamed of and the good news that the angels look down on in curiosity. We have the gospel. Have you taken that for granted? Have you been a sharer of this gift? See, we have a gift in the gospel that is so extravagant and filled with love and grace that it drives us to be different. It changes us. And even greater than the gift, we have the gift giver himself. God, above all else, the creator of the universe, whose holiness and purity and goodness is unfathomable to our brains. See, from the front cover to the back of the Bible, we see this story of God reconciling his relationship with humans and all of mankind. We see broken images of God being restored by his love so he could have the glory in the end. But think about something. Has it ever occurred to you that even if God did not reconcile and restore us and send his son to die for the sins of all humanity, that he would still be good? 
he would still be worthy of all the praise and the glory that the universe could offer him. Have you ever thought about that? Had God never done anything for me to know him and have relationship with him and to be seen as righteous through the works of his son Jesus, he would still be worth all the praise I could muster up because who he naturally is as God. See, through God's actions, he revealed his character and his goodness to us. He sought us out. But even if he hadn't, he would be just as good because of who he is. Because he is God. The altar's open as we go into the invitation time this morning. Maybe you need to thank God for what he's done for you and stop taking this gift for granted. Christian in here this morning, have you taken the gift of salvation for granted? Have you taken the gospel for granted? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never accepted this free gift of salvation that God offers us at the expense of his perfect son, Jesus. Maybe you say, I've tried religion before. I've tried uh, being good enough. I've tried to live my life as a better person, but I just can't figure it out. It's because it's not about your works. It's about the works of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on a cross. See, God stepped down off of his throne, came to earth through Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life that we could not live, and died the death that we deserve so that we could be seen as righteous in the eyes of God. That's the gift this morning. That's the beautiful gift that God offers us. Maybe you've never accepted that free gift of salvation. You can do that this morning. You can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, the gift giver, a relationship that is worth anything that could happen to you in this life as a Christian. You can accept that gift by crying out in a prayer to God this morning, something like this. It's not a magic prayer. The words aren't that important. You don't have to recite word after me, but it's something like this from your heart to God. Saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that because of my sin, I deserved hell. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for me. I'm turning from my sins, God, and I'm turning to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you receive that gift this morning, that is an amazing thing. See, I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning. If you receive that gift, I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to ask you to come up or do anything embarrassing. But if you would, just take your connection card. write on the connection card near the bottom, I chose Jesus today. And place that in the offering plate at the end of the service. 
we'd just like to get to know you better, that uh, you made that choice. We'd like to reach out to you and talk to you and uh, talk to you about what that decision means and where to go next from that. The band's going to continue to sing and lead worship. Continue to pray. Use the altar as you feel led. Or stand with us as we continue to worship.